CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is sponsored by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to The Tome Book Club for December 2012. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. And in each book club, we discuss one D&D-related novel, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book for December was Spider and Stone by Jaylee Johnson, who we'll be talking to later in the episode. And this is our first book by Jaylee. Yeah. And uh, we'll ho- we hope you'll join us for the book club. And if you want to get in on the discussion, shoot us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. We'd love to include you. And our next book is going to be Lesser Evils, the second Brimstone Angels book by Aaron Evans. And yeah, I think it's worth noting that that uh, I don't think... I think they've they've started a trend in some uh, of their D&D um, lines, if you will, of novels, and that they don't do straight-up trilogies or straight-up series, but they do similar characters, and they, they tag them similarly. So I think anything that has Brimstone Angels on it is going to have the same characters but be standalone novels, and I think that's what this is too. Nice. Uh, so Sword of the Gods was the same way. I think they're doing the same thing with uh, Shadowbane. Um, so we're seeing more and more of that sort of thing. This book was the same as that, too. Yeah, this book was, too. Uh, and so for January 2013, we'll be reading through the end of Chapter 11 of that book. And we'll get to see Lorcan again. Yay! And uh, <laughs> discussing it at the end of the month to be finished in February. All right. So before Tracy gets too swoony over her, uh, what is it, devil lover? Uh, Big half, right? He's got some good in him. Yeah, sure he does. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into this month's book, which is Spider and Stone. Uh, Andy and I discussed the first half of the book, uh, solo last month because Tracy's life was crazy, uh, and she hadn't had a chance to read any of it. And now you've completely caught up with us, right? Yep. Sweet. No, I, I skipped the first half of the book and only read the second half. And only read the second half? Okay. Oh, I, you know, that's the other way you could have gone with that. Um, not the way that probably would have been, uh, preferable, but you know, however works for you. Nice. <laughs> All right, so what do we think? I think it's a pretty darn, darn good book. It was a decent book. It was my first, it's my first Forgotten Realms book I ever read. Wow. So. And you liked it, huh? It was decent. It was not bad. Uh, had to make a few checking for the lore for certain terms they were referring, but. Oh, okay. What kind of terms were problematic for you? Uh, the first term that I well, was the Water Davian. That's the first one I remember. It's like, oh. what the hell is Water Davian? Sure. Which, which I found online meant someone from Waterdeep. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I, see I, I could. Yeah, I can see just a few little things like that. You know, I've been I've been sort of immersed into the realms for so long now that 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 kind of I, I'm I'm always curious. You know, somebody who's new to the realms, what kind of stuff throws them off? You know, lore wise, um, and what kind of stuff just sort of is easy to sort of pick up, you know? So, yeah. And I, I feel like there weren't a lot of the special groups in here, which maybe actually made it a little easier, but he obviously Eric wouldn't know that. Yeah. As someone who's familiar with the realms, but not necessarily uh, enamored to them, I, I felt it was a, it realms knowledge wasn't really essential. I, I think it, it well, stood alone pretty well. Yeah. I didn't feel like, 
without my realm's knowledge, I would lose out in the book. There was just a few details, like, okay, if I'm making a reference to something, what is it? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. And, and um, it was interesting to me because actually – and I don't remember if I brought this up when Andy and I chatted about, about it in the first half. But when I read the opening chapter or two, I had to go back two or three times and double check to make sure it was a realm's book um, because – and not because it's not using a lot of realm's lore. But it turns out they found a little corner of the realms that I wasn't very familiar with. And so I kept reading about this group and that city and, this, and these dwarves and these drow and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like – None of this is familiar to me. Am, am I sure this is a realms book? You know, and so I had to keep going back and double checking. Um, and it also delves into a part of the realms that I think is often neglected, but one of the cooler parts, which is dwarven history and dwarven culture and that kind of stuff, which I think is really cool, but seldom really uh, u- utilized very well. Yeah. There's a second dwarf Facebook in a room. Was it? What did I read before? Well, the- novel. The the one we read before the uh, Kobold Guide was the um, Eberron Dwarf. Oh. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be about the dwarves, but it ended up being about the dwarves. <laughs> well, you read the, the, the Shardax, which was yes, dwarven-based. Yes. We didn't actually yes. read Shardax, though. Okay. We read uh, Skeen of Shadows, which only, it, only tangentially had dwarves in it. Uh, old man brain again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I really liked the the whole book too. And I liked the dwarves. And I wasn't sure because I don't know that much about the realms if this is how how often we come across dwarves in the realms, and if these dwarves were just different, or I think these dwarves felt very much like dwarves do in the realms when they're done right. And I've almost, most of my experience with really good dwarf stuff in the realms I've gotten through gaming and not through novels. This is the, I think the first time I've really dug into dwarves in the realms and been really pleased with it. You know, Salvatore does it with a little bit, but he ne- he's always dancing around so many other things, he never delves too deeply into dwarf stuff. Right. And this one we get a lot. We get their uh, courting rituals and marriage ceremonies and... Well, not exactly courting, but the lead-up to the marriage and mm-hmm. stuff like that, too. Yeah, lots of culture is in this book for dwarves. Well, and more so, I think it captures that spirit. I mean, there there is a certain um, sadness and decline that, that is part of, of the Dwarven sort of uh, ethos, if you will, um, that I think they capture very well in this book. But we didn't really get an answer to the questions we brought up last time on, on why the Dwarven population was diminishing, and, and was it the world's Dwarven population or just this city's Dwarven population? Yeah, well, although we did sort of um, get a little bit of that because um, we discovered in, in the last battle that the Dwarven population of this city hadn't declined like the, it was being portrayed. Um, not, not as sharply, but it's, right. it's still declined. But. It was in decline, but it was actually a, a sort of a, a myth, a story, a trick that, that the king, Mithbarak, had, had put out there so that when the drought attacked, they would think the numbers were really low. And oops, surprise, there's a few thousand more dwarves than you expected. Yeah. It was a ruse by king. Yeah. Which, Which I was, was cool. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I, I like the king. The king, Mithbarak, was a fun character to read about in his mystery. Yeah, I'm going to be so, curious. So, I'm going to be curious talking to the author um, because there's very little that I could find about Mythbark. I mean, there is some lore about him when I do a little bit of, of research into realm stuff. Um, so that wasn't a character that she made up. Um, but I'm not sh- I think she may have made up the bit about how he's not really a dwarf. 
Yeah, let, let's focus on the spoilers be damned part here, because yeah. there's three pretty big spoilers in the second half of the book <laughs> that, that uh, were very interesting turns. I kept expecting three guys to jump out of my closet and say, no one ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> well, yeah. The, they, they were the pretty unexpected. Be, the book seems to be having fun with polymorph spells throughout. Yes. Um, well, so with, with Mythbark, uh, he's a dragon. Turns to stone for some part of the year so he can uh, fly wherever he wants, including the Astral Sea. And I, I think I there were... the Astral Sea, actually. What? Is it only the Astral Sea? I thought I thought he had gone to other places beyond the Astral Sea. Yeah, I mean, but... it was a little bit vague. I mean, does he does he turn to stone, or does he leave behind a stone statue and then just fly around as a dragon for a while, or does he, t- or does he do that in specifically to astrally project? Right. Which lets it letting his spirit go free, but his body is behind in stone form as a dwarf. But and I thought there were... during the battle, it said for the first time in centuries he was flying uh, in air and not astral. Oh, okay. Right, but we... yeah, I guess what I would say is I don't know if that means he never went anywhere other than the astral sea, or if it's just he he'd been going to the astral sea for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, they did talk about how he had been at the in the astral sea for a long time, um, had mm-hmm. been waylaid, um, you know. I thought that was a pretty big deal that that was touched on and then completely left off. <laughs> yeah, glossed over. Well, and and part of me wonders is is this hinting at a future major storyline that that would be kind of awesome to get into because it's dealing with um, you know he gets he goes and gets captured by the the forces of Tiamat, and does this mean that Tiamat is up to something that we might see later on? Yeah, because they didn't deal much with the Tiamat aspect. The story. Yeah. And it, so, could, and it could have just been a convenient, you know, we needed somebody to waylay his spirit for a while, so he was gone for too long. And, you know, Tiamat's a natural since he's a dragon. Yeah. Right. And I didn't feel that the, there were a few pointers that he might have been uh, not a dwarf, because they talked about the silver eyes of a fair bit, I thought. Mm-hmm. But I could be misremembering. No, I think and I think that's true. And, but, you know. Well, they, they did talk about silver eyes, but they never mentioned that silver eyes are. are... Unusual amongst dwarves around. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, there, there wasn't a, really a clue to us that 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 was some something we should latch on. To. And I and I think I just naturally assumed that it was it was unusual, but but an aspect you know or a manifestation of the fact that he's more a magical creature than a natural one at this point because he's right. constantly going back and forth between statue and, and dwarf. Or he's a greedy dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> A greedy dwarf or a greedy dragon, or right. All right, so Andy, that was one twist. You said there were three. What was the other? The another one that you that you noticed? Uh, major one and a minor one. Um, the minor. We'll, we'll hit the minor one first, where uh, where uh, Ruin and uh, Iceland got hitched. Yeah, um, I didn't see that. I, I think you you had been saying last time that that it was a one way thing, and I, I'd been leaning towards it was a two way thing. And, mm-hmm. I th- yeah, and that that's true. And and um, Tracy and I, before we started recording tonight, uh, we're chatting about this in our part of our conversation as well. And and part of my my hesitation on the whole thing is that he's much older than her. Yes, yes. you know she's got to be she's got to be what in her early twenties, and he's got that puts him in his late thirties, maybe early forties. Yeah, we we spent uh, some time talking about that, if I if I recall correctly. Because mm-hmm. uh, she she mentioned at one point uh, twice his age, her age, or something like that. Yeah. 
Something like that. And so, yeah, it, it feels like a weird relationship to me. Although uh, the second half of the book really solidified the other relationship that you mentioned that you felt like Saul was a, a father figure. Mm-hmm. And I saw that a lot more in the second half of the book than, yeah. than I saw in the first. Whether it was because it was more there in the second half or whether I just noticed it more because of our conversation, I don't know. Um, but I definitely saw it more in the second half. Yeah. And he comes out and says that, you know, I, I stand as witness for right. instead of her parents. And it, it sounds like he may have had something to do with, with taking care of her after her parents and her uncle died. Yeah. And maybe we would know that if we'd read the first book. I don't know. That's entirely possible. I, I would actually say it's probable. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other uh, a big whammy is uh, Zogarsa. 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 Was a hot chick, according was to was a girl all along. Yep. Yeah. Hot draw chick. Not yes. just any hot draw chick. Yeah. The lover of. of the other draw chick. Frizzy. Yeah, the lover of or yeah, the matron mother. That was an interesting. Um, I I had a reading that and seeing the transformation. I felt that whole angle felt a bit like they were building a Quisitatarak from Dune, where they were trying to ma- meld both male and female traits together to best represent Loft with our new plans. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because um, Zalgarza actually started off as an interesting character and then kind of petered out for me for most of the book and then became real interesting to me at the end. Um, because of this sort of transformation she's gone through, she's suddenly become not the typical drow, but has done so in a way that doesn't feel like it's just a, a carbon copy of Drist. You know? she, she's, she's not your typical Loth-worshipping drow anymore. And she doesn't sort of fit into normal drow society. But at the same time, She's not the good guy. She's not trying to be a better person. <laughs> she just doesn't like the drow anymore because they betrayed her one too many times. Right. And one of the things, because I read the whole book all at once, and I know this is in the first half of the book, one of the things that kind of struck me as weird at the beginning was the overemphasis of the masculine body parts when with Zolgarza. Uh, there, there, were, there were lots of things about... There was a couple of things about castration, or hmm. and all of that, and I was just like, why? Why is there such a, a strong connection there? And it, it kind of maybe makes sense if you're talking about. Turns out that Zogaris is actually originally a woman, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it also just made me question if if that's just how drow society uh, actually, if how a lot of males in drow society think. It doesn't drow society just continues to not make sense to me. Because they're smaller. Because <laughs> on top of it, they're smaller than the the women. Like, uh-huh. That's also told a, a few times yep. in, in the book. Yeah, they're smaller and weaker. They tend to be. It's it's uh, uh, very much reversed roles from what we're used to. Right, and then and yet they're talking about masculine power coming from the male genital region and everything else. And it's like that that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the things I actually. Um, or at least you're starting to hint at some of the things I really liked about the book is that there are things early on in the book that that you don't even realize are important, but then completely pay off later on in the book. You know, right. Mithbarak being being uh, a dragon, Zolgarza being female, all of these things are hinted at early on, but you but there's no reason you would see it until it's already been revealed. You know, and right. I re- I really like reveals like that where it makes perfect sense. But you didn't necessarily see it coming. 
Right, with Zalgarza, there's that whole scene about how his features are all wrong. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any sense because we're not, nothing is described to us as being wrong. That I, I can mean, remember. And, and I mean, there are certain things about Zalgarza as a male that never made sense. Um, he was almost albino ish. You know, because instead of the, the the typical flowing white hair that Drow had, he had greasy black hair. And, you know, so he, there were many features that he had that were opposite of normal Drow. Right. My, my suspicion what, was that he wasn't uh, a pureblood Drow, is what my suspicion was. Mm. But, uh, I thought he was just I sort of a, a sort of a freak and, and used mm-hmm. that, you know. Mutant Drow. You know, people are genetically different. Yeah. That's what I was thinking to myself, too. There was not a normal drow till the reveal of the transformation that happened. So, mm-hmm. Right on. Any other thoughts? Uh, I feel like this book, compared to maybe some other uh, Forgotten Realms novels I've read, have, have gone into relationships a lot more in, in detail. I mean, we, we get a lot of them. Not only the, the trio that that uh, we meet with Rune and Saul and... What's her name again? Iceland. Iceland. Uh, but also the marriage. We get a marriage in there. We get two. Um, we get two. Yeah, two my, of them. Dwar- my dwarves didn't die. I, I had predicted dwarven death. Oh, yeah. You, did you say the city was going to fall? Uh, I don't remember if I said that, but I do remember I said one of the newlyweds was going oh, to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember us making some some wild predictions that were going to come back and bite us. So I, I was watching a, the Star Trek uh, Balance of Terror episode at the time, and at the beginning of that episode, two people are getting married, and uh, one of them dies halfway through. Oh, spoilers! Oh, Jeez. <laughs> I'm going to spoil everything on this episode. <laughs> the sister does die. The sister of one of the right? Yeah. yeah, Joya. Joya, the the cleric. Yes. She, she wasn't on my dead list. <laughs> what, what, what do they call it these dead days? List? What, what do the kids call it? <laughs> Although she, she, it wasn't insignificant that she died. Um, no. Because she was one of, I mean, there, it felt like there was a, a large family and we only kind of got to know a few of them. But she's one of the ones that became important to Iceland because they had a commonality in that they were both worshipping dead gods. Right. And that sort of helped, she helped Iceland sort of get through that that idea. But, is this book uh, part of the beginning of um, Mr. Coming Back, or is that just... Uh... Uh, no. I think Ed Greenwood's handling all of that on his, on his, uh, in his own stuff. Well, I, know, I know that, that Mr. is coming back based on the ending of the Encounter season that just finished. Yeah, and, and Ed Greenwood um, is telling a, a trilogy of stories... Um, Dealing largely with the return of Mistra. Um, she's already come back in some form in the very first of those books. Tracy, I think we read that together, didn't we? I think so. Um, and now, he actually has the third book out, and I bought it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Elminster Enraged. Um, and I have, so I have no idea if she's actually back yet or not. But she was pretty well on her way to coming back. She, her, at, least, at least her sentence was already back some time ago. Right. Um, and the last thing about the book, that at least on my end, and this is a much more personal thing, is that I, I part of the reason that I haven't been as available is I've been dealing with someone who has uh, basically been dealing with some problems of his own. Mm-hmm. And so reading about the Spellscarred people 
almost as a it's not quite mental illness but similar enough to people who have like a chronic condition mm-hmm. it was actually kind of really interesting for me to, to read it that way and hear, and hear a lot of the same words that my a number of people that I know who have chronic uh, conditions say like I'm broken or stuff like that sure. to hear it in the book was kind of cool and, and to work through it that way so it was actually a really good time for me to read the book Ruin, Ruin especially had, yeah. had uh, a, a spell scar ability that felt very much that way right it, it put him into a, a, a sort of a bit of depression um, with, yeah. because of what his power was and made him think that nobody would ever love him. Yeah, or want to be with him. Whereas he's the one that can. He's the one that can see when you're people's die. death, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. not see it, but since how soon? How soon it'll be? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Iceland's I, Iceland, I, I felt like from the beginning was actually more at terms with her, her power and the curse that sort of came with it. The fact that her power is slowly killing her and all that, I think she sort of, you know, would she have preferred to find a way to get around that? Yes, and that's why they were they were out adventuring and doing their thing. Um, but at the same time, I feel like she was you know she was okay with it. You know, if it happens, it happens, and, and that's fine, and that's my life. Um, I, I think that may have been the focus of the first book. It may have been, although would, she would be would be my guess because um, you know the, the the turning point in her life was her power getting out of control and killing her master. Sure. And my uh, my guess would be the first book kind of picks up from not long after that. Yeah, and and, and, has her. and the first part of the book actually um, deals a little bit more with the other part of her curse, if you will, the the, the perfect memory that she has, right? And and some of the right. some of the way you know it's one of those gifts that people you know think that'd be awesome to have until you realize that there's consequences to it as well. But even that's dropped pretty quick. Now now I'm not sure by the end of this book has she solved her problem. It seemed to me like she was throwing magic around during that battle using the arcane script sphere without having much problem. Um, uh, but she doesn't. She, said, yeah, she thought to herself that she knew she'd pay for it later. Well, yeah, she seemed to think that, but we didn't actually see any, her paying for it later, right? There was no. Now she's older. Now she's wiped out and, and exhausted, and, and her you know the energy's been sapped out of her like we'd seen in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And largely, she was using the silver fire until she lost the arcane script sphere. Um, mm-hmm. But the question is. Was she able to do that because of the sphere? Is she able to do that now because of her contact with the sphere and now she's healed? Um, or was it just, you know, it didn't affect her that time and she just got lucky? You know, and I still don't, I'm still not sure that we know where she is. It wasn't clear, but I don't think she was been healed. Okay, so you think that she's still going to be facing but, this problem yeah. of, of aging every time she, she goes too far? Yeah, I, I agree it's, it wasn't clear, but I'm, I, I get the feeling it wasn't healed. Okay, maybe I'll ask Jaylee. Yeah, I don't think it was completely healed, but I think there was something else, like almost as if she was touched or something, because I think there's more to it than than she was left untouched by the experience. She was talking, communicating with Mistra at yeah. the time, so that could have Mistra being a goddess of magic could influence and helping her out during this mm. battle when she was casting all those spells. All right, well, I put a question into my list of questions for Aaron, so we will talk to her about that. Awesome. One thing I really liked about the book was the library with a Seneschal. That was a very cool library just to experience and uh-huh. look for the book. I'm totally getting a library like that in my next house. Oh, yeah. With a dragon. Once we, once we, once we perfect, perfect AI, then we will totally be able to have that, right? 
That's true. We'll just have a computer that, that is all of our books that can tell us where everything yeah. is. Exactly. Although since I'm om- pretty much only buying digital books anymore, I can, I, like I, I can pretty well do that anyway. Just open up the Kindle app and do, and do a search for whatever mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Just ask Siri. Siri, read my books for me. <laughs> Audible. There you go. All right. Any last thoughts? No. I'm curious where this will go. Uh, it sounds very episodic in, in the series. So, yes, probably Miss Shore has more details from the past. And we're probably going to see the, these characters again. Well, and I'll be curious because um, – I've talked. We've talked to several authors recently who talk about how they, you know, they'd love to keep going and they set it up for another book, but there's no contract, you know, right now. So uh, mm-hmm. I think I think Watsi's in a bit of a state of transition with uh, the big sundering thing they're doing, and I don't think they wanted to have a lot of other things going on during that same time. So a lot of the authors are sort of on hold for a while, uh, and I'll be yeah. curious to see what she says. Yeah, and that could be why there's so many different kind of hooks in there for another book: the yeah. uh, Tiamat, the Zelgarsa. Uh, the, the three main characters. I mean, there, there's all, there are all these different directions that could go from here. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I have a feeling that's, you know, that was intentionally the author not knowing where she'd be able to go, so just leaving yeah. options open. I also felt like <clears throat> this was an interesting, you know, they've been doing this big rise, rise of the Underdark thing, uh, where it's slowly been revealed through several books and through several things and, and encounters and all that kind of stuff over the course of the last year or so that Loth is trying to uh, take over as God, the new goddess of magic. And I sort of felt like, you know, there there was some implication that this story ended up actually sort of being the, the climax of that, you know? This was the, the big one of the big pushes to uh, Loth doing that. Or was it just one of, you know, a hundred pushes and we'll keep seeing similar sort of things going on. But how many times can you recycle the same, the same villain plot? You know. I know that in encounters, the last encounter, you actually fight off Loth in the demon web. Yeah. That's the final battle. To defeat and basically save those, and Mistra comes and helps out to assist you to fight off Loth to for the for the know. demon weave spell weave. Thing. So maybe they've got several versions of sort of the the climax, depending on how you're experiencing that that story, right? Yeah, and, and um, Zalgarsa, I, I don't know if she thought it or said it to Mithbarak or whatever, but but it was mentioned that all the dwarven, all the drow cities of the Underdark are doing something in preparation for this. Yeah. Well, they've all been sort of leading to it. Yeah, they're, they're all p- part yeah. of this larger ritual, and we saw we've seen that in other books too, right? We saw. Uh, Drow in, in the la- in the last um, um, sort of the gods series we we read, just trying to get magical artifacts to use, you know. And I just sort of saw that all these things were were all these Drow cities getting these things to use them in the larger ritual. But this was sort of the focal point of the ritual. Fair enough. And maybe not. We'll find out, I guess, when we talk to Jaylee. Thanks. Are you going to ask her about if Tiamat is something that was she was asked to put in or that she put it herself? I am now. It sounds bigger in the book, but... I'll ask now. Okay. <laughs> and now uh, we'll talk with Jelly about the book. So we're here with Jelly Johnson, who's the author of the Spider and Stone book, and you've written a few other ones, haven't you? Yeah. 
Yes, I have. Um, I, my first book was Howling Delve and then uh, Miss Shore and the Unbroken Chain series. Nice. Right yeah, we, we, we almost read Unbroken Chain as part of our book club. I remember uh, discussing it extensively and then we ended up going with something else at the time. But it, it looked interesting to me. It has uh, Shadar Kai in it, which I'm, I'm kind of kind of partial to now that I've been writing about them for a while. But, yeah, uh, I'm really excited about Spider and Stone too. Yeah, I, I we we uh, we had all kinds of good things to say about Spider and Stone. Uh, so let's start off with with what is Spider and Stone? You know, be as concrete or esoteric as you want to be, but you know, in your mind as the author, what is Spider and Stone all about? Well, I think for me, it's two things. I mean, it's it's part of the Rise of the Underdark event which is, um, you know, the drow scheming and manipulating and running amok, um, which, so it's basically a Tuesday for them. But, um, <laughs> uh, and so, and it's, but it's also um, the sequel to Miss Shore. Um, it revisits the characters of Iceland, Ruin, and Saul. And uh, the Miss Shore was the first book. It was part of the uh, Ed Greenwood Presents Waterdeep series. And, um, but this one picks up, um, a few months after Mistral left off with the characters um, trying to find a cure for Iceland's spell scar, um, which she's, she's blessed and cursed with a perfect memory, and which wreaks havoc with her magic, and it's also um, slowly killing her. It's shortened her lifespan. And so the characters are on a quest to find a way to cure her and to uh, prolong her life. And that's what brings them into conflict with the drow and the drow's conflict with the, the dwarves and just... And, it just mm-hmm. spirals out from there. <laughs> cool. And and you mentioned that this is part of the Rise of the Underdark theme. Is this just part of it? Is it midway? Is it the culmination of it? It's just one one element of the Rise of the Underdark event. Um, I know there were several um, e-novels that um, touched on it in different ways. I think there was... Um, Prince of Ravens by Richard Baker, Sky of Shadows by Marcy Rockwell, and Spinner of Lies by Bruce Cordell, mm-hmm. and um, a few other um, events that tied into it. Um, my book sort of touches on it touches on the the plot of the Drow Goddess Vulp and and how she's seeking to replace Mistra as Goddess of Magic, and um, the book just talks about um, some of the things that they need to accomplish to do that which is to um they're seeking this artifact that they call the arcane script sphere which has a piece of mistra's um memory and personality in it mm-hmm. yeah and i think the reason we we wondered was because while this and we've read several of those other books those all sort of feel like they're setting something up but in this book it feels like the thing that all of those were setting up was the ritual that they were trying to pull off in this book Yes, and I think the, or at least the original intent, as I understood it, was that then we would get, um, then the story would continue, and we would get to see the culmination of what happens with Lolf, and you know whether she succeeds or fails, or what happens. And I don't know that we've seen, you know, the culmination of that yet, or um, whether we, or when we will, because, like you said, we have the Sundering coming up, and I don't know. They're keeping it pretty close under wraps, whether mm-hmm. that's going to be related to the draft storyline or not. So yeah, I'm, as, I'm as much in the dark there as you guys sure. are. And one of one of our uh, guests that we had on uh, for our conversation about it actually is also involved heavily in the Encounters program. 
and, and mentioned they've already sort of hit a climax and, and a conclusion to the whole thing there where they, you, they actually ended up going and fighting Loth, Loth herself. Oh, okay. So I wonder if that's where they wrapped it up. But, but in terms of, of the novel presentation, this felt like, if not the climax, it felt like a climax to the whole thing. Well, good. I'm glad it, it felt a little bit like you got some closure in yeah, that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As somebody who doesn't do encounters, it felt like I sort of, okay, this is what, this is what all that other stuff was about. And now it's, it's thwarted and we can move on, you know? Okay. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, one of the things that, you know, being a part of Rise of the Underdark, um, I sort of, when I went into it, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get a drow story. But then I get into it and I start wondering, well, is this a drow story or is this a dwarf story or is this a story of a, of a handful of spell-scarred humans? Uh, and I'm kind of curious on, on your take. What, what is this story? Well, I think it's – well, it's all of those things, I think, um, because I wanted to do – in showing the conflict between the drow and the dwarves, I wanted to make sure to explore as much of dwarven society as I could, mm-hmm. as I could could get away with in the page count because um, I think we need more dwarves and more exploration of their society in the realms. Um, and I also wanted to do full justice to Iceland's story to continue that for all the people that, you know, asked me at the end of Miss Shore, but where is she going next and what's going to happen? And, you know, are she and Rune going to get together? And um, So all of those three things kind of intersect. There are I guess in my mind, some common elements that draw um, the three groups together. Um, memory is one of them. It's actually one of the big themes that I have running throughout the story because a lot of the characters, and not just Iceland, are struggling with how their memories and their pasts are affecting them and mm. how they're holding them back from being happy and from getting what they want. And everyone from Iceland to, you know, Miss Barrick, the leader of the dwarves, to Zolgarza, um, they're all being being held back in a way by their memories, by their past. And um, I tried to address how each one deals with that. Mm-hmm. And, and on a side note, I want to say that you, you may have just become my new favorite Realms author because uh, dwarven culture and society is one of those things that, that I've always wanted more of. And you can't find it very often in novels. And there's so much nice lore there. If you, oh, if you it's do. really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could, I could, I've reread Dwarves Deep so many times because it's just there's so much. I mean, Ed has so much lore in there. I mean, it, you know, I could have used that for most, you know, my research for this book because it's just so complete. And I just, yeah, I mean, uh, they're fascinating. I think. Yeah, well, I, I really like. I'm new to the realms, but well, relatively new. But I really like the the dwarf stories. I like. That was one of the few examples I've seen so far of um, what I consider a really equal society. Uh, and I love the bride and groom both make something for the other and, and all of those things that came out. Right, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things that, that came up uh, in our conversation was trying to figure out how Iceland has changed as a result of her experience with the Arcane Script Sphere. Um, it seems like while she had it, she had a little bit better control of her magic, or maybe she was just lucky. And now it's gone, and is she back to having the same struggles, or is it 
cured by her, by having been touched by this essence of, of Mistred. I'm, I'm curious, is that something that you know the answer to, or is it something you might explore in the future, or, um, you know, sort of w- where does that take us with, with Iceland? Well, assuming, I mean, I would love to get the chance to continue the story because I have an idea of a direction that I would like to go with it. Um, the answer is yes, I know the answer to the question, and yes, I would like to explore it more and see the repercussions. In this story, um, the big thing that I wanted to address was not so much Iceland's, um, how she was physically changed or or how her her spell scar was altered by the uh, arcane script sphere, but how having contact with even that piece of the goddess kind of changed her, her outlook and changed her relationship to her past and um, and that sort of thing, because she kind of, her relationship with the arcane script sphere is kind of a part of her, is connected to her relationship with the past and with the parents, that mm. she lost her parents when she was very young, and so, um, and she never got to know the goddess of magic, which was the goddess she would have worshipped, and um, someone she, or her life would have been completely different had Mr. lived, so this artifact sort of represents her past and like a goddess mother figure. And so she has this emotional connection. And so it affects her physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Okay. And on the subject of Iceland, isn't there a significant age difference between her and Ruin? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that Um, relationship comes off a little weirder sometimes. It would be a totally May, December thing. Yes. Um, it, uh, I, I actually um, made that joke to my husband because there's um, there's a, an age difference between the two of us. Um, he's like uh, seven years older than I am, and so he gets regularly accused of robbing the cradle um, <laughs> with, with his friends and family. So, yeah. um, so I made that joke that, uh, that he and I are like Iceland and Ruin. But yeah, there is that age difference there. But I guess. I look at it a little bit differently at being the realms and a fantasy setting and that idea of, and especially with Iceland life being so uncertain, the fact that, you know, her life has been shortened and mm-hmm. she is, you know, wanting to, to snatch up and live as much of life as possible. And that includes going after ruin and, and, you know, pursuing that relationship. And, but yeah, I can definitely see how it might come across as weird. <laughs> Well, just, well, and we got most. I, I mean, I got most of my information about age for through the uh, the Forgotten Realms wiki, um, you know, and and it seems like there's a good fifteen twenty year difference between the two of them. Oh uh, no, not that much. Okay, uh, it's she's. I'd say le- less than fifteen, more like more like twelve years. Okay, Something like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't like to, and I, and I don't recall offhand if I mentioned her Iceland's exact age in this shore. But I kind of fudge her age a little bit. I don't say exactly how old she is. Okay. Um, I think with Ruin I did, but uh, so yeah. Okay. And she, at least if I remember correctly, because I read Miss Shore a long time ago now, um, she always seemed a little older too in it, or at least near the end, like very sad or something. I thought. But I don't know right. I mean. I, yeah. I mean that's that's how I hoped she would come across as as being young in some ways and she would have these flashes of immaturity but yet 
underneath it all that she would have, you know, that she would seem older and wiser beyond her years, more experienced. Well, and that, that feels like part of her curse as well, is that she is actually physically older, you know, beyond her years. Right. Uh, and then um, talking about memories and connections with the past, uh, there's this part where all of a sudden Tiamat shows up in, in, the, the, in the story, and we're, <laughs> we're kind of wondering, uh, what's going on there? Is there a connection that we should know about, or something else coming? Or Do you mean um, in uh, Mithbarek's uh, encounter on the astral plane? Yeah. Yeah. Well... That was actually, that was interesting because um, the character of Myth Barrack um, is actually um, an existing character. Um, I didn't create him. He was, he's the leader of the, the Dwarven City. Mm-hmm. And um, I had some of the, the background lore on him from my editor. And there was a, a note that this was part of his character, that he, um, while traveling on the astral plane in his dragon form, he had been um, captured um, and held prisoner by uh, servants of Tiamat, um, for a long time, and this was back in third edition, and then um, mm. the hundred year time jump happened, and the lore kind of picks up after that that he escaped or he got free and resumed his leadership of the city. And that kind of was fascinating to me because it made me wonder, you know, how did he get away? What, what happened to him? How might, you know, his imprisonment have affected him? And that's kind of where that comes in as I was trying to draw off of the, that lore in the, in the game products that people might be familiar okay. with and kind of, you know, bring some closure to that story. Yeah. And, and what very, what little lore I could find, um, as I, as I ran into some things here that, that I wasn't sure about, um, didn't mention that. So I wasn't the, the, the sort of the big secret of him being a dragon, and all that. So I wasn't sure if, that was something that you brought in or if that was something that existed before, but it sounds like it was something existed before that you incorporated. Right. Yes. I incorporated it. And I'm always, it's always interesting to me when I talk to people who've read the book because I never know how familiar they are with the game products and how much of that they bring into the novel reading. So I, I, and by and large, I found that a lot, most of the people read the novels only that I talk to. So they're not, you know, is familiar with the gaming elements. So when I introduce that stuff, it's not like, you know, it's a surprise to them. They, they aren't expecting it because they haven't mm-hmm. read it. Well, and I, I think you found a, you know, I've, I've been reading realms novels since I was what, 12. Um, so it's been some time to say the least. And I, and I've read a lot and I read, you know, I, I almost exclusively run games in the realms. I'm, I read a lot of the products. I'm very familiar with the setting. Um, and at the same time, when I first started reading this book, I had to to go back and double check things because um, you you found a little corner of the realms that I just didn't know very much about, and to the point that I even questioned, well, wait a minute, was this a realms book or was this something else? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 and you know, it, it definitely fit. It, it feels like a realms book, but it was just a, a little section that I I just had, didn't know very much about, but I found fascinating. Right, and that's one of the things I that I love so much about the realms is that you're constantly finding things like that just little hidden you know hidden pieces of lore you know tucked away in different places and you know it all adds to the you know the overall puzzle and i don't know i just i like that i it makes the world feel very very alive yeah absolutely and although it, it felt like with the the scene with tiamat um capturing myth Barak, it did it did 
it felt almost like it was a setup for some sort of future, you know, team that's got this other plot going on too, which also helps the world feel very much alive. You know, not everything is happening and revolving around what's going on just just with those characters, which I think is why we asked about it. Just, you know, are there plans? Are you doing something with Tiamat later on maybe? Uh, we don't have a we don't have a date plan, Tiamat and I. We, okay. we don't not not at this point, but you know, no, she, no problem. She's not a very good date, I don't think. <laughs> she eats too much. It's it's all the heads. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Tracy get a chance to get a word in. Oh no, I don't. I don't have anything else. Oh, okay. <laughs> Other uh, than I love the book. I mean, I just want to. Yeah, I want okay. everyone to read it. <laughs> Yeah, I found I found um, we've been reading more and more books from from authors that sort of got their start in the realms through that uh, what was the the Ed Greenwood presents um, Waterdeep <laughs> stuff, right. you know, mm-hmm. and and I think I have loved every single one of them so far. Um, so I think the realms have a crop of authors coming up, um, you know, like you and Eric and uh, Aaron and, and some of the others that that are just gonna to to take things to a whole new level that that it will be awesome. Well, I really, I think that, um, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. But I, yes, I really think that, that a lot of the authors that we have writing in the realms right now are just incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I'm friends with a lot of them, sure. but I'm, I was, I finished uh, Brimstone Angels not too long ago and yeah. moving on to Lesser Evil. And I'm just so excited about Aaron's work. And I've always been a fan of Eric's. You could, so. you could be a guest on the next book club. We're reading Lesser Evils next. Oh, are you really? <laughs> we are. You could get get it on the book club discussion with it. See the <laughs> see the other end of it. It was it was great the other day. I think I don't forget who Aaron was talking about too, but she's talking about somebody was joking about braiding ha- Lorcan's hair uh, as part of the next novel. Oh no! <laughs> I think that's one of the cool things too. Is just that a lot of you guys are on on Twitter and you're talking about your characters and what you're doing with them mm-hmm. and are willing to joke about them and stuff like that too. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very cool. Very yeah, cool, I'll have cool. to I'll have to mention the braiding Lorcan's hair. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see can't wait to see where she goes with him because I think he's just dead sexy. That's oh, insane. okay. <laughs> so far, I, the guys on the show have not agreed with me either. either. Oh, really? Because I'm more with you. I, I think there's something nice about him. For, well, particularly for a, like a 16 year old girl's point of view. I, th- I think oh, yeah. I think there's an interesting story with him. I think the the. The girl falling for the bad boy. Ah, I'm over it. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm not the bad boy, but I'm. I'm not saying it's it's not problematic. It, it, it's definitely there's some challenges there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should save that for the next month, though. Um, <laughs> just any any idea what's coming up next for you then, or where we might might bump into these characters? You said that you don't have anything yet in terms of novels coming, but things that we might look out for. Um. Well. Yeah, it, it would be probably on the other side of the Sundering, wherever wherever we end up um, after that. Um, but if Wizards, you know, wants me to write another book, whether it's a sequel to this and it continues Iceland's story, or whether it's, you know, more in the Unbroken Chain series, I'm I'm all up for that. I'm I'm ready. So, can we get a recipe book from Saul? <laughs> that would be cool. I was just thinking he could even tweet recipes. He could if you know what the the bad thing is, Tracy, is that if I were a better cook than I am, I would do something like that. But I, but Sol is I, I'm I'm such a terrible cook. Oh, there was there was even somebody. Um, 
the Dice Monkey, I think, used to do a, a, a Forgotten Realms Friday recipe series on his website as well. So he, he oh. get, had a bunch of you know pseudo Forgotten Realms recipes on there. You just you could just rip him off. I know him; he's a good guy. <laughs> you wouldn't care, yeah. yeah. No, I should just have people um, send me you know recipes for Saul. And then you can you can write up Saul's you know dis, uh, descriptions of them all and everything. That'd be fun. Saul's yeah. dream cookbook. Yeah. yeah. Still need some mint. I'd, I'd pay money for that. Yeah, when he's out of spices, bad things happen. And then at Gen Con next year, we can get together and a different person will cook every night and it'll be salt from Saul's recipes. Nice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just hand it off to uh, the Ram and have them make all of, all of Saul's recipes. They'd have the best names for them too, wouldn't they? They would. Oh. All right. We should so, probably – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, we should find out where people can find Jilly online. Yes. Um, well, besides Twitter, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, um, but you can also find me at jillyjohnson.com. Um, and I also I have a, a link there where I do a group blog with uh, three other authors that I'm in a writing group with. Um, we each blog one day a week, and so you can find links there and links to all the novels and short fiction that I've done. And tell people what your Twitter handle is. Uh, it's Jilly Johnson. That's hard to figure out, huh? Yes. You're very subtle that way. (laughs) If you can spell it, you can find me. Yeah. I actually find the name easier to spell than than one would expect, and I'm a horrible speller, so. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Good. Great. All right. And we are back to wrap things up, and we want to say thank you to Jaylee Johnson. Uh, We will have links over to to her and and her – corner of the internet over on our our show notes and we also want to thank our guests for tonight andy can people still find you over on twitter at aw meyer that is where i hang out awmyhr and eric is eric m pock that is correct that's pock with a q yeah (laughs) p-a-q uh and uh anywhere else people should find either one of you that's the easiest way for me Excellent. To find. I, I got my also. I um, still haven't done much with it, but there's some stuff there. All right. All right I complain right. about turning 40. I think this latest post. And we also want to thank our listeners, like you guys out there, for supporting the show by shopping through the Tomes Amazon store. Links are usually in the show notes. You can also show some Tome Show love by swinging over to our Spreadshirt site, which I haven't talked about very much at all for a long, long time. But we have some Tome Show t-shirts over there as well as some shirts that were requested or um, inspired by listeners and what have you. Um, So head on over there and check out some, some cool shirts or some hats and what have you i really like my um my intelligence cap that that i wore uh for the last year or so it's it's held up really well Uh, we don't actually make much money on those uh if it mentions the show we make nothing if it doesn't mention the show on the on the thing we i think i i added in a dollar so we get a whole dollar for every shirt or hat we sell Um, but we just basically wanted to spread some geek love so head over to uh, the Spreadshirt site and i'll have that linked in the show notes as well as always, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. 919-BIZ-TOME. And you can find show notes for all of that at thetomeshow.com. And that is Spider and Stone for the Tome Show Book Club. 
Join us next month where we will be getting just a little bit bad as we read Lesser Evils through the end of Chapter 11 in the January 2013 book club for... I'm on the wall.